When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to another chapter of the Book of Sean. It's good to see you people. <laughs> I'm feeling better, could you tell? <laughs> I've, I've gotten over my long week of illness. Last week I almost died, people. Uh, not seriously, but you know, I felt like I was. You guys must have prayed for me, because I'm feeling better. It's good to see you. Thank you for tuning in tonight. I've got a great show for you. I know I say that a lot, but I actually do have a great show for you. I have a great guest tonight. My brother Jamal is here. He's a dancer and a choreographer. Look at him. Look at that smile. Look at that smile. I like it when black men smile. Look at that. He's here tonight. We're going to talk about his great journey as a dancer and a choreographer who's had some success. And what most people don't realize is that success can be just as big a burden as failure sometimes. You hear what I tell you? Success can drive you to drinking. <laughs> and my brother Jamal has had a journey with success. I'm hoping tonight to inspire him and give him some really good advice to, you know, get him standing back up on his feet, get him back in the race, make him make him excited about the next great chapter of his life. And as I try to do that for him, I'm trying to do the same thing for you, because that's why we tuned in. Right. We tuned in to feel better, people. We tuned in to be expired, inspired. That's what's going to happen tonight. We're going to do some Ask Dr. Sean. You guys sent me some great questions and we're going to start with some headlines. Play the bumper, Harley. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Let's talk about Elon Musk, okay? I know how much you love Elon Musk. Y'all love Elon. Y'all love Tesla. Y'all love SpaceX. Let's talk about Time Magazine's Man of the Year a couple of years ago. So apparently Elon wants out of his deal with Twitter. Remember how he came on? He was going to buy Twitter and turn Twitter into the free speech center of the universe. But now Mr. Elon, wants, uh, he wants out of the Twitter deal. Elon Musk's lawyer sent a letter to Twitter saying he's terminating their merger agreement but apparently, Mr. Elon Musk has not figured out that it ain't going to be that simple. <laughs> you don't get to promise people $44 billion and then walk away from it. Because <laughs> they want their money. <laughs> Imagine if somebody promised you $44 billion and they're like, you know, I changed my mind. How would you feel about that? You'd take them to court, wouldn't you? And if you wouldn't take them to court, I would take you to court for not taking them to court. Because that's how dumb you would be. But Mr. Elon Musk, he wants out of the deal, people. So listen, legal experts are saying that, you know, this is going to be complicated because the stock price that he was willing to buy Twitter for, nobody else is willing to pay that kind of money. So Twitter's like, give us the money. We want that money. But I'm not really doing this story because I really care about Twitter because y'all know I don't even like Twitter, okay? I think Twitter's a cesspool. I think Twitter's a bigger cesspool than Facebook, and Facebook is a huge cesspool. I'm doing this story because I like a good Elon Musk story. Ain't nothing like talking about Elon Musk because y'all love Elon Musk because in America, we all think if you have a lot of money, you must be a great person. Enter Elon Musk, <laughs> who proves the point that having a lot of money doesn't make you a great man. It just makes you really rich. You do understand that you can have a lot of money and have no integrity at all? In fact, a lot of people who have a lot of money have no integrity and I get to say, because of this story, that Mr. Elon Musk is apparently not having a lot of integrity. Because let me tell you what integrity is. Integrity is when you say what you mean and when you do what you say. Integrity is when you open your mouth and you say something and you meant what you said. Integrity isn't saying, I want to buy your company for $44 billion and, oh, I changed my mind. You know why he changed his mind? Because the moment he announced he was going to buy Twitter... Tesla's stock went down. <laughs> Elon was like, I don't want it that bad. I don't want it that bad. But, but the truth of the matter is, he never really wanted Twitter. He just wanted to buy it because he could. And that's the point of the story. That's the moral of the story, people, is that some people just want to do things because they have the power to do them. 
And what we've done in this country is that we've empowered people to have power that they shouldn't have. Okay? Mr. Elon Musk is a wonderful example of what happens when you give people too much power too soon without any restrictions. Just because Elon Musk makes a great electric car does not mean that we should turn the world over to him. Okay? He should just stick to making cars. And that's the moral of the story, beloved. Don't give people too much access and too power, too much power rather too soon before they have a chance to prove that they're worthy of the power you happen to be giving them. Because when you give people too much power too soon, you end up regretting giving them anything at all. And that's what Mr. Musk shows us. And just because you're good in one thing doesn't mean you're great in everything, okay? And sometimes it's just better to keep people in their place where they belong. You're good at this, so you should stay over here, okay? Here's what I mean. When you guys make your next million dollars, your cousin should just stay your cousin and not your business manager. <laughs> let's move on. Let's talk about Sri Lanka. <laughs> I'm cooking with hot grease, Jamal. I'm cooking with hot grease right now. Let's talk about Sri Lanka. Now, I know you guys are thinking, I don't care about Sri Lanka. I don't live in Sri Lanka. Shut up. You're going to care about this in a second. All right. This is going to bless you because you guys have seen all the people, you know, who stormed the presidential palace and they were swimming in the president's pool. Right. Hundred thousand people stormed the president's palace because they're protesting what's going on in Sri Lanka. All right. That's not a hundred thousand. There we go. That's a better photo right there. All right. So what's happening is a million people have been protesting. What's going on in Sri Lanka? What's going on in Sri Lanka is, is the country is bankrupt. The country is bankrupt. People can't afford food. They can't afford gas. And they can't afford medicine. And the people of Sri Lanka have had enough. You hear me? Millions of people on the street protesting. They want to get rid of the president. Uh, they stormed the president's house and then they burned down the house of the prime minister. <laughs> the people of Sri Lanka ain't playing, man. You know what I'm saying? They not playing, Jamal. They, they, people of Sri Lanka have had it with their politicians, okay? And I'm bringing you this story. Are you ready for this? Leaning closer. Because I need you to understand what can happen when people really get tired. When people really get tired of being messed over and played with and, and, just, and just drug around, people really do have the power to change what happens in their country. Money is, not the great, money is not the greatest political tool. The greatest political tool in any country is the power of organized people. When people organize themselves and they decide that they want things to be different, nothing in hell can stop them. And that's why it's important that we see the people of Sri Lanka doing what they do, because I'm hoping at some point the people in this country will decide that we don't want to be a part of a system that keeps poor people poor and brown people and black people under the heel of oppression and women marginalized and LGBTQ people rejected. When are we going to decide that we've had enough? You know what I'm saying? And, and for all our political elites, all the politicians who hoard all the power and all the money, you better watch what happened in Sri Lanka. Because <laughs> when people get tired and they really get tired, they're not trying to hear it no more. You see, when it's all said and done, when, when, you, when you just factor everything in and you, and, and you make it really what it's about, powerful people just want you not to care about what's going on in the world. They want you not to care about hungry children or dis disrespected women or dejected uh, queer people. They want you not to care. They want you to be so wrapped up in whether or not Khloe Kardashian is going to have another baby with Tristan Thompson. They want you to get so wrapped up, you know, in, I don't know, Whoever, give me a name. Jack Harlow. I don't know where I got that from. I just pulled that. So they want you to get wrapped up in that so that you're not paying attention to the world you actually live in. And that the only world that you care about is the one in your phone. So you live with your face in your phone and all around you, your air's dirty, your water ain't clean, you can't afford gas. You know what I'm saying? Have you gone to the store? To try to buy some food? <laughs> they, they, they don't want you to, they don't even want you to notice the prices. Because the more distracted you are, the more they get to hang on to power. But at some point, beloved, you're going to have to pay attention. You're going to have to stop thinking about all the craziness and stop gossiping and worrying about drama just for a little while. And I think all the little gossip shows and the drama shows, they have their place. But at some point, you're going to have to pick your head up and realize that the only way you're going to change the world is if you work on actually doing it. 
Speaking of that, I found a story that I think we should talk about. Jamal, listen to this. <laughs> Did you know that between in the last six months, this, this is going to shock and amaze you, okay? You're going to need a drink after this. In the last six months, 71 million people have fallen into poverty. Yes. You see Jamal's face? Show Jamal's face. <laughs> Jamal's like, he can't believe it either. In the last six months, 71 million people have been driven in. That's a lot of people, people. 71 million people worldwide, all across the world, not just in America. People can no longer fight for it, rather to buy food and medicine. And in the last six months, 71 million people have sunk deep into poverty. And here it is. I bet you know some of them. Yeah, come on, let's go there. I bet you, I bet you, you're, I, I know you, I know, I know some of them. We all know somebody within the last year or six months whose financial situation has changed. We all know, some, we all know somebody who has a different financial status because of what's going on in the world. And it turns out that there are 71 million people who are in a different financial situation and many of them now living in poverty, officially poor. There's not a person under the sound of my voice who's not affected by what I just said. And when you got 71 million people sinking into poverty, it makes you grateful for whatever stability you have. Let me say something to you. You ready for me? Because you didn't come ready. I came better, but you didn't come ready. You need to hear me. I don't care what your financial situation is. I don't care how much money you don't have, how much money you wish you had. When you know that 71 million people went into poverty in the last six months and the fact that you are not, it better put a smile on your face and it better make you grateful. You ought to go to bed tonight with a little more gratitude in your spirit because there but for the grace of God go all of us. It could have been you in the, in sinking into poverty. It could have been you homeless. It could have been you hungry. It could have been me starving. You follow what I'm saying? We could both be sleeping in our cars right now. Both of us right now sleeping in our cars. I'm blowing my horn at you. <laughs> you blowing your horn at me because we both sleeping in the car. But it didn't happen. You hear me? You woke up this morning in your bed in your home, and it may not be a palace, and it may not have, you may not have nine bedrooms, and you may not have eight bathrooms, but you got something that kept you out of poverty. And I wanted to do this story to remind you that you better be grateful. Don't you sit up in the middle of your life complaining about what you don't have and who won't call you back, and you forget to give thanks for the fact that you're not one of the 71 million people who sunk into poverty in the last six months? I was sick last week and someone said to me, Dr. Sean, why don't you just call off and don't do the show? And I said to them, I'm not calling off not doing this show. I don't take this show for granted. This show could be gone tomorrow. I'm going to sit in this chair every chance I get. It's a blessing to come here, come on the air and talk to you. And every chance that I get to do this show, I'm going to do it because I, I don't take the blessing for granted. You ready for me? Do you know how blessed you are? You know how blessed you are? Your life ain't perfect. Everything ain't wonderful. All your bills ain't paid, but you can still be blessed. And you know how I know? Because 71 million people sunk into poverty in the last six months. And I'm praying that probably you were not one of them. Let me do one more story before I bring out Jamal. Because I can't wait to talk to him. Let's talk about Pope Francis real quick. You guys know I give the Catholic Church a hard time. Okay, I give the Catholic Church a hard time. Not because I don't like the Catholic Church, but... I just have a problem when you don't like gay people and you don't like Black Lives Matter, but you have a history of abusing kids. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's called, called hypocrisy. <laughs> Y'all should be loving everybody <laughs> with your little track record. But I do like Pope Francis, and here's why. I got two minutes. Pope Francis recently announced that he is, he is appointing women to a special committee in the Vatican that chooses bishops. And for the first time, women will have a say in who gets to be a bishop in the Catholic Church. For the first time. For the first time, women will be a part of the discussion about who's going to lead the Catholic Church. Shout out to Pope Francis. I don't always agree with him. I don't always agree with the Catholic Church. But when it comes to this, shout out to Pope Francis. Now, all of us who have good sense know this should have happened a long time ago, okay? Women should have been a part of a discussion a long time ago because if you can take money from women, then women should be at the table to deciding who should be the leaders for how to spend that money. <laughs> Let me lean in and look at you. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, they, they don't have a problem taking money from women. But I'm happy, I'm happy about this because I believe that we have to, we have to undermine entrenched racism. We have to undermine entrenched sexism and misogyny and homophobia and trans. We have to undermine those things. And this is how you do it. This should have happened a long time ago. Women should have already been at the table, okay? And I'm glad it's happening now. And I can't speak for you, so I'll speak for me, and let me just say this. I could not be a part of a denomination or a church that did not ordain or affirm women. I'm not coming to your church. If women can't preach at your church and they can't be in leadership in your church, I'm not coming to your church. I'm not participating or or collaborating in any kind of foolishness. And I think women all over the world, especially in the Catholic Church, ought to decide that if I can't have a seat at the table, you can't have my offering. I bet you if women stop giving them offerings, <laughs> the church will be a lot. The church will the church will be transformed overnight. Yes, it would. To all my sisters out there, I'm kind of joking, but I'm kind of not. Sometimes the only way for you to get what you want is for you to take a stand for yourself. Because apparently the men in the world ain't going to do it. I'm not saying, you know, you shouldn't give your offerings or you should pay your tithes or you're not. I'm just saying if you if women in, in religion and in churches stop paying their offerings until they got equality and respect, they'd have equality and respect overnight. So you can either take that as advice or you can even take that as me just doing headlines. I don't know. But headlines are over. <laughs> when I come back, I'm talking to Jamal. We're going to talk about dancing. I would have been a terrible dancer because I can't dance at all. We'll be right back with more Book of Sean for you right after this. Welcome back, everybody. So we all have dreams. We all have things that we want to do and wish we could do and have been dreaming about doing. Some of us actually get to live out our dreams. And then when the dream happens, you end up realizing that, hmm, <laughs> interesting little dream I had. My guest tonight has a very compelling and interesting story, and I'm going to wait to tell you who he's worked with. He'll tell you that in a second. But tonight, our job, together, you and I, our job is to get him back in the game, okay? That's what we're going to work on together. Welcome to the show tonight, uh, Jamal. Hey, Jamal, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing very well with your smiling self. So let's get right to it, Jamal. All right, you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna smile me out of uh, focus, okay? Let's get right to it because um, you are a dancer and uh, and a choreographer, but I understand that you thought about retiring. And what I want to know is what what was going on, um, or what is going on that made you want to even consider that? Um, so at the time, you know, I had just got. Um, I was about to, you know, consider leaving LA. I, w- I was, you know, working, you dance, you do things, but oftentimes, you know, you have successes and people see the celebrities and they see the big names and the red carpets. And I always tell people like, Hey, I, I, you know, you don't make what the artist makes. You make whatever you get, you taxes, agents, everything else. And then along with just living in Los Angeles and um, the older I got, I, I just said, you know, I can't depend on family to do certain things for me. I can't keep calling people, say, hey, I need help. Hey, I need this. Hey, I need that. So I, um, you know, I, I thought just, you know, as a man, be responsible and go get a job that's going to just, you know, give you some stability. And so it was mostly about the stability mentally, emotionally, mm-hmm. physically that made me say, OK, I think that I might need to just retire um, just because you, you feel like you keep getting the short end of, of the stick and people say, keep holding on, but you don't want to hold on so long that by the time that great thing comes, you can't appreciate it because you you so damaged by everything else that has happened throughout your career. Mm, mm. Let's stay there for a second because um, we don't often get to hear people, people love to talk about their successes and victories, right? But yeah. people don't often talk about the struggle. And, yeah. and what you've taken us into tonight is 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 the struggle. Um, yeah. Tell me what that felt like, because you you've told me the story as 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 a matter of of happening. But 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 what what did it feel like for you to wake up and have that insecurity every day? Um, it gets very very uncomfortable, um, especially because um, in entertainment, what we are taught is to entertain. 
Uh, we're taught to give you a show to put on a show. So that happens through our social medias, through when we're performing or just through your everyday life. And um, you start to just feel like a liar. You know, you start to feel like I'm just like, I'm, I'm just giving people false hope because I'm not telling them what what's really happening. And oftentimes people want to hear, oh, just be positive. And it's like, but there are negative things that are so happening. Jamal, Jamal, so when are Jamal, we going to address those? Jamal, mm-hmm. hold on a second. So, so, yeah. so, so if, if you could go back right now uh-huh. and say what was really going on, right? Okay. Uh-huh. What would you say? Um, so at the time I was, I was driving Lyft, you know, to try and take dance classes. Um, but Lyft had hired all of these car people to, to be on the road. So I think I was making like $50 a day and it was like six hours. I, w- I wasn't making a lot. Um, I, uh, you know, rent started to go up. Gas was going up here in LA. The dance studios were getting bought out. Um, gentrification was happening. So classes went from $11 to now $20 a class. And um, now you're paying for things for auditions and um, the job started to decrease. So you went from making $1,500 on a job to now it's like, hey, can you come do a music video for 250 and you're and that's not happening. I Jamal, fell behind on car Jamal, notes. Yeah. Jamal, mm-hmm. say, say this after me, okay? Matter of fact, close your yeah. eyes, close your eyes okay. and, and just say this. Yeah. I'm drowning. <laughs> I'm drowning. <laughs> I'm drowning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what begins to happen. You know, basically, uh, no, no, behind no, no, no car no, 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 behind on I'm here to work today. I'm here to work, Jamal. Okay. And, I, ahead, and, and I'm telling you why. Because a part, of, a part of what I want to get to tonight is getting you to the place where you don't rush past your feelings, okay? Oh, where, yeah. you, where you don't mm-hmm. rush past your feelings. So I, 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 I just had you repeat, I'm drowning, because I, yeah. took, I took everything that you just gave me and put it in one sentence. And when I said that, when I said that, you just rushed right past the drowning. Why do you do that? <laughs> um, that's just, I think that's a defense mechanism. We're taught to, you know, feel, but to keep moving. You're always taught to keep going, to keep working. Um, this happened. Don't dwell in it too long. Keep going. Mm-hmm. And I, tonight, what I want to do, a part of what I want to do tonight is to, is to undermine that. Because I think, I think that, I think that that which is not faced cannot be defeated, Right. And, and mm-hmm. that which we will not name, we cannot overcome. And so, and so, and so if, 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 during the course of this conversation, I'm, I'm going to stop you every now and then and say, slow down. I need you to feel that because that's the way. Out. All right. So let, let's, 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 let's move on because I, I, I want to make sure I tee this up right. So yeah. you, you're, you're going through this moment um, mm-hmm. and you have a seminal opportunity come along. Um, yeah. that, that a lot of people would just love to have, right? Um, so, yeah. so tell everybody watching about this seminal, genuinely amazing opportunity. Um, so I was packing up my car and I got a call from one of my friends and he told me to, um, he wasn't going to an audition and he asked me to go into his place. He said, can you, you know, I'm going to call and see. So it was a private audition and I went into his place and it was for Beyonce's homecoming. And um, so I went and I ended up getting the job and I choreographed Beyonce's homecoming. You see, you see, you see how unemotional he said that? <laughs> Isn't that exciting? It's just, are you over it? I mean, what is it? <laughs> oh, no, I mean, like, it, it's exciting. I mean, it was, it was one of those things, you know, it was, um, it was exciting to me. Of course, it was very exciting. Uh, it was definitely life changing. Uh, you know. So, 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 when, so when you got the call and you knew you had it, right? The job was yours. How did you respond? Well, that, that's not the way I actually found out. So okay. I thought I did not get it. So I, um, I was actually leaving the next day. And my cousin asked me to come to his birthday party. And some people from her team were there and they said, hey, we've been trying to find you, but we didn't know, like, you don't have an agent. You don't have certain things that that we normally go through. And um, I was like, yeah, that's very true. And it was like, hey, so rehearsal starts Monday. Are you 
interested. And that's really how it happened. <laughs> and so um, for a while, like it caught me off guard, you know, um, I thought that, you know, life was going to change for me. I said, oh man, like this is going to be the greatest time. And I was super excited. Uh, I had dreamed of choreographing or to work with her for so long, like years. And I, I was like, man, like that, it was, it just felt like that weight that people tell you to wait on, yeah, like that yeah. was finally happening. So, okay. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming working with her was amazing and that she's, uh, she is everything that we all imagine her to be. Um, yeah. I, I, I've only heard great. I, I had a, a stepdad on the show, so I, I've only heard great things about her. Um, yeah. and so I know you can affirm that, but I understand that there was a negative thing that kind of came out of this. Right. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and, that, and that's what makes your story so interesting, right? So, mm-hmm. so what, what was the negativity that came out of this opportunity to work with one of the greatest artists and the biggest names in show business? Well, I was already in so much debt that about time I got off of the project and paid all my debt down, I still had nothing. So a lot of people thought, oh man, like you're rich, you're this. So uh, uh, people didn't want to help me um, as I tried to progress things that I wanted to do. Or, um, you know, I received a lot of backlash from the dance community. Like not everyone, but there were people who, I would go to dance classes and they would be like, how did you get this job? You know, or are you still doing that stuff? Like you got that by luck? Or there were people who actually told me they didn't want to hire me because I got their dream job. Um, it just seemed like family and friends, like, you know, oh, you Hollywood now, are you this, you this? And it, it just got more and more negative. And here it is, I'm sleeping in my car, my cousin's couch from time to time. And I'm having to rebuild a life that everyone thought I had because of what they saw. Wow. Okay. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you t- you talk about uh, schizo. We talk we talk about being schizophrenic. You talk about having a schizophrenic experience where you're at the yeah. height of what you want to do, but you mm-hmm. have this very low reaction from the people around yeah. you. So, so you're telling me yeah. when you when you got this when you got this opportunity to work with Beyonce, people automatically mm-hmm. assumed that you were wealthy, rich, that you had gotten paid. Yeah. Well, no, I, you know, I got paid, but it's like people thought, you know, oh, like you're making millions, you're doing this, like things are like, they see what other people make and think that that's going to be associated with you. And that's not always the case. And um, a lot of what I did, I'm in a fraternity. And so a part of me was to teach a lot of stepping and a lot of the HBCU culture. I went to an HBCU. And so, uh, yeah, I received like death threats and all these crazy messages from like the Greek community and like I was in these. Are you serious? Like, wait, 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 oh, yeah. wait, 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 because you did this dance or, or, or you know, designed this yeah. dance, you got yeah. death threats? Oh, yeah. I was told like I'm giving away the culture and like who did this? Like we need to go jump. Like it was very crazy. The comments I would see. But um yeah, it was it was very intense. Like it it actually took my anxiety to a whole nother level. I I I became really recluse and I just stayed to myself after that. Wow. I I, I got to take a break, but really, I I, I don't even, I don't even know what to say. I, it's I I can't imagine the response of people, right? to come with so much vitriol and viciousness when all you're doing is trying to pursue a dream and sort of live something out that you've been wanting to do for a long time. Um, When we come back from this break, Jamal, I want to talk about what this did to you, right? I know you just mentioned Mm -hmm. it, but but, but I'm going to get you to slow down (laughs) and actually talk about what this did to you, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm sure it did more than what you just said. So we 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 gonna we gonna mm-hmm. listen. Who knew working with your working with a, with your idol would, would would turn into this, right? Not because of Beyonce, obviously, but because of people who are envious and jealous, and for people who don't understand. Not everybody who claps in your face understands what you're trying to do. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Jamal, let, let me let me just ask you this clearly. 
So you did the choreography for, for some of the choreography for, for Beyonce's Homecoming, right? Yes. And in response to that, you got death threats. Yeah. Okay. Just a lot of hate mail. Okay. And during the whole break, I've been trying to figure out why is somebody sending you hate mail and, and potentially death threats because of that? Like, is, it, is this something else to the story? I don't know. Like, like No. Um, you know, Greeks, we're just really protective of our culture. But a lot of people did say, like, you know, they felt like you're giving away our culture. You sold out, you know, those type of different things. It was just people are just opinionated. Okay. To, to the degree that they would sort of level this kind of viciousness in your direction. All right. So, so let me ask you this. Yeah. Let me ask you this, because we've kind of, you know, we've kind of treated it as if it's something, you know, common to courage. You know, you do a dance. People hate you. They want to kill you. Well, it's Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's slow down and, and, let's, and, and let's do a little work now. Because okay. what did that do to you, honestly? Um. Deep down, it uh, really killed a lot of my confidence in terms of who I was and, you know, what I, what I was doing. And um, most times people think it's easy to get past. But when you're hearing things and you're seeing things and life isn't happening the way that you would think, it doesn't make it easy for you to continuously believe when you don't feel that support around. Um, but also as a dancer what we do is we move and we emote what's inside. So a lot of what was happening inside wasn't allowing me to even move freely. Um, a lot of things happened. I, I started to gain weight. I started, I couldn't move sometimes. Uh, injury started to creep up. Like everything seemed to be going in the left, in the left field for me. Um, I, I was, I, I began to get like afraid to even go to dance studios or, Socially, I was, I had just really bad anxiety to be around people, to be around entertainment, to be in the midst, or it also created fears. Like, you know, when you want to say, hey, I got this project, hey, this I want to do, and you start to want to grow past um, wherever you have been, um, it makes it harder to say, like, I want to keep going because you have a fear of something repeating itself or you don't want you don't want to be back in that space again so you do everything with caution but a part of art is to freely move so you're kind of battling with it back and forth and you tend to lose a very high sense of self mm. Mm. now you know you know you know what i notice you do a lot you you say you instead of i yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um, and, and my sense of you tonight is that you, you, you protect yourself emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. My, my sense of you is that you, 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 you sort of push it away far enough for you to be able to talk about it, but not actually feel it or actually sit in it. Is, 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 would that be a, cor a correct assessment? Yeah, that's pretty true. Yeah. It's pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah. And what do you think that's doing to you? Um, I haven't really sat and dissected that part, but I would, I would think that um, by nature, just human instinct and survival mode, I've just been living in survival, survival mode, and mm -hmm. you do what you have to do to survive mm -hmm. instead of actually, like, thriving. Mm -hmm. But you want to live, right? Of course. Yeah. And, and you want to excel, right? Yes, of course. And do more than survive, right? Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> you want to live. You really want to Say live I, out other dreams I, that you have. I, want, I to want to live. I want to live out other dreams that I have, other aspirations that I would like to see, changes I would like to see in the world, changes I would like to see in the dance community, changes I would like to see in, in the black community. Hmm. Well, you know, you know what's interesting? I, I like you, Jamal. I like, I like, your, uh, I like your spirit. Um, but, but I also have a deep sense of your hurt. I have a deep sense of your, your disappointment. Um, but, but I'm wondering if, if, you, if you understand 
that there might be more to the message you can get out of this experience than a negative one? Uh, yes, that is definitely something that, uh, that I'm aware of. Um, you know, I, I think that one thing after most of my experiences and not just, not just Beyonce, it could be TV shows and other things that I've worked on, other artists that I've worked for, um, you know, you're waiting on payments and things that have probably still not happened or never will happen. You, um, it's almost like you, you try to heal from it and I try to those around you, I, I try to heal from it. And a lot of people don't allow you to heal. A lot of people don't allow me to, you to move allow me to heal. <laughs> no, no, it's, 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 it's part of the work. Let me ask you, do, do you still want to dance? You still want to be a dancer? Hmm. No, really? I don't, like I, I don't, I, I don't mind dancing, but I enjoy the choreography, the creative directing side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but dance, I don't, I'm going to say like, it, it's cool to perform. It's cool to, to do those things. But in terms of my personal goals, it isn't just my personal goal to say like, oh, I did the award shows or I've done, I've done all of that. And it was always for other people to be like, oh, this is their definition of success. And after you do it enough, it's not really successful to you anymore. It's just job and work. And I want more for myself. So, so it's not about being a dancer anymore. It's about, it's about doing things that relate to whatever projects you're working on that sort of bring you to the next level of what you're trying to be. Did I get that right? Correct. Okay. Of course, those things I think will always have dance be a part of it. But, 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 but here's, my yeah. last, here's my last question though. Are you ready to go through the gauntlet again? Let's say whatever you're working on right now blows up tonight. Are you yeah. ready for the gauntlet again? Because, because bright lights come with hot heat. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm torn. I will say that. I think that some days I get up and I'm like, yeah, let's go. And then some days I get up and I'm like, no, you're crazy. Like, why are you doing this to yourself? Mm. So it, it's, a, it's a mixture. All right. So I'm, I'm out of time, but here, 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 here's where we're going to end, all right? Because I think the story that you tell yourself about that first experience is an incomplete story. I, I, th- I think everything, everything that you say happened, happened, and I believe it, and I trust it, and I know it to be the case. But here's what I also know. That was preparation for you, Jamal. Something bigger than you was preparing you for the light in the stage that you're going to stand on. And you needed to experience all of that when you were small. You needed to experience all of that in your obscurity. So that when you experience that in your bigness, in your moment, you'll be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, been there, done that, survived it, overcome it, I can handle it, what's next? I'm saying to you that the next time you tell this story, tell the story you told me tonight, but then add this part that I'm giving you tonight. That it had had to go down that way. You needed to feel that. You needed to be drugged through the mud so that you would understand what it means to stand in your truth and to own your gifts and to not have to explain it or to apologize to anybody because you paid the price to do it. And that's why I'm excited about your future. I don't know, whatever you're going to work on next, I know this. I know that greatness invites criticism and persecution. And I know that for some reason, life chose to teach you early how to deal with that. And I'm saying there's a reason for that, Jamal. Don't underestimate why life chose to teach you early how to be persecuted. Yeah. I'm going to be quiet. You told me to sit with you. <laughs> like the one time I want you to talk, like you just you going to be quiet. There you go. <laughs> Listen, I hope, I, I hope you receive all of that. I, I hope you get what I'm trying to I say. I do. Yeah. I do, I do. Yeah. And I and I and I truly believe that, um, and I think that that was a big thing for me is that moving past that fear, um, you know, or knowing that and and believing that, 
are two separate things at times. So just being able to to merge those and believe that you're gonna be okay, that you're gonna that you're gonna make it through, um, that it is preparation, yeah. and believe that that day will come. Yeah. Listen, I gotta go, but uh, but you're already okay. You're already all right. Listen, everybody, I gotta take this quick break. When we come back, I'm gonna say some more about this. We're gonna do some ask Dr. Sean. We'll be right back right after this. Listen, listen. I love talking to Jamal. Um, I wish him well. I pray and hope that he flourishes in whatever he's trying to do next. Um, but I do think that sometimes we underestimate the power of persecution. We underestimate the language. Sometimes life speaks to us in the syntax and in the grammar of heartbreak and disappointment and persecution. And what life is saying in that language isn't that you're cursed, isn't that you aren't going anywhere. What life is saying in that language is, I'm preparing you for something greater than this. And I need you to learn how to handle persecution now so that you can overcome it later. Anyway, let's do some Ask Dr. Sean. Play the bumper, Hiley. <laughs> Hiley was quick with that. All right. You guys send me great videos, as you always do. I got another great one for you tonight. Let's take a look at this one together. Hey, Dr. Sean. I'm Kendra Steven, and I need some advice. Someone I know likes to dress really provocative when I invite them out, no matter where we go. Should I say something to them, or should I stop inviting them out as much? Well, there's a third option. You can kind of get over what they wear. <laughs> you, still, you, can, you cannot be wrapped up in, in what they got on. You can, you can decide that your friendship is based upon who they are and not their presentation before the world. I mean, I, 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 I'm not a woman, so I don't really have the same reaction to what people are wearing in clothes and all that that a woman might have. So I suspect it might be a little different. Um, but just speaking from the only perspective that I have, which is the one that I live in, um, I, I just, you know, if, if I was with someone who was dressing pro provocative, um, it kind of wouldn't bother me that much. I don't know. It would bother me. I, I, it was just, I, that's how you want to dress is fine with me. Um, I, I, people are suffering. People are hurting. People are wounded. People have been crushed and bruised and, and insulted in their childhood. People are, I just told you tonight, 71 million people just sunk into poverty in the last six months. You don't know why people need to do certain things to feel good about themselves, right? You don't know why certain people just need, you know, to sort of get attention. And sometimes because we don't know, we assume certain things and we judge and we rush. I tend to not be that kind of person. I tend to to let people exist in the spaces where they're able to thrive and feel safe and feel secure. And while I may not like necessarily, you know, what you have on, I, I, just, I, I just don't think it should be the basis of a friendship or the moment of confrontation. I think that maybe you should have a conversation with your friend about what's going on because it may be so much bigger than the clothes. And it often is so much bigger than what someone has on. So instead of you having a conversation about being provocative and showing flesh and getting attention, maybe you have a conversation to ask your friend, are you okay? What's going on? Tell me more about your story, your journey. Because before I try to make a judgment about what you are wearing, I should probably try to understand more of what you've been through. See, it's the journey that tends to compel people to do what they do. And so... You know, I reject the options that you gave me, and I invite you more readily, more fully, to really struggle to understand your friend and to give your friend the space that she needs to be who she is at this moment. And you don't have to agree with someone to love them. You don't have to approve of what they're doing to love them. And you don't always have to open your mouth and say something. Sometimes you just need to leave people alone and let them come to the place where they're able to graduate and move on from the season of life that they're in. You understand what I'm saying? See, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to be a friend. Anybody can be your friend when you're doing what they like or, or you're doing what they like. It's harder to be a friend when someone's doing what, something you can't stand. Man, that's hard. And this is your opportunity to see how much of a friend you really are. Okay? But before you judge her, try to listen to her heart. All right. Uh, I got to take this break. Uh, but let me read this question first, and then we'll take this break. Um, my husband only seems to get excited when he watches porn while we're having sex. 
His actions make me feel insecure, and I feel like maybe I'm just not good at having sex. Should I be insulted that he does this, or should I see, see this as a sign that he has a porn addiction? Well, I'm going to answer that question right after this break. Welcome back, everybody. So I read this question before I took a break. I'm going to read it again. My husband only seems to get excited when he watches porn while we're having sex. His actions make me feel insecure, and I feel like maybe I'm just not good at having sex. Should I be insulted that he does this, or should I, or should this rather be a sign that he has a porn addiction? All right, interesting question. Um, and I was telling uh, Steve over here that um, a lot of people actually recently have this issue or this problem where they kind of need uh, porn in order to, you know, be thoroughly invested in whatever it is they're doing sexually. And it doesn't matter how beautiful the person is that they're having sex with in real life. It's because so many people are watching porn so often, right, that that's, that sort of wish, dream, fulfillment, fantasy thing, we superimpose it. Here's my point. You shouldn't think this has anything to do with you at all, okay? This is clearly someone who overindulges in porn and now needs it to be stimulated when even when the real thing is laying in front of them, right? Ready to go and excited about the moment. Um, this is really about his journey, his issue, um, what it is he, he's dealing with. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if it's a porn addiction or not, but I do know uh, that it might be helpful if, you know, he has a conversation with a professional who can help him figure it out. But the worst thing you could do is make this about you not being good at sex sex, or you not being attractive. It has nothing to do with that. Because again, there's so many people right now who are watching so much porn that it is, it's, it's become the driving factor. It's become the standard. It's become the fantasy that when the real thing is in front of them, they still need the stimulation. Um, and it's sad, really. It's and, and Not that watching porn is sad, but what's sad is that we are so addicted to what's on a screen, we're so addicted to what we watch on our phones and however you watch your porn, <laughs> that we, we, we can't appreciate the real thing when it's in front of us. And, that, and it doesn't just apply to sex. It applies to a whole myriad of issues that people can no longer appreciate because we are so addicted to screen life. I, I kind of made that up. That was good, right? Screen life? So we have like a digital existence. Here's my point. I think you need to support him in getting some very serious help and conversation. You need to not make this about you, your beauty, your ability, or anything like that. It has nothing to do with you. Nothing, okay? You could be the most beautiful one in the world. You could have the most voluptuous body in the world. And he would still do this, okay? Because he's locked in a whole pattern of things that he needs to get liberated from that you can't provide that liberation for him. But you can support him and you can encourage him, you know, to get, uh, to get help. All right, let's take a look at this video because you guys always send me videos. Let's watch this one together. Hey, Dr. Sean, my name is Charmaine, and I want to know what advice would you give me to um, help someone that needs help with communication? <laughs> what advice would I give you to help someone? What the piss? People always give me these questions, and they don't tell me enough information. Communication with what? Communication with whom? You know, because how you communicate with your grandmother is now how you communicate with the person you're sleeping with, right? Those two very different kinds of communication. So I would kind of need to know more to give you a, my best answer. But I'll give you a provisional answer that applies to everybody in almost every situation. See, see I, I think one of the most important things you can do with communication is to establish that the goal of the communication is never the communication itself. A lot of people try to talk and communicate just so they can say that we're communicating and we're getting better at it. The goal of communication is never just a conversation. The goal of communication is always so that you have a greater revelation of the person that you're talking to. The goal of conversation is revelation. You got it? So that you have a better understanding of who you're talking to. And when, when two people engage in conversation with that fundamental premise in mind, they're more likely to disclose and they're more likely to listen at another level. So I would invite anybody who's trying to be better at 
talking to each other to understand what the goal of the conversation is. And the goal for a good relationship as it relates to conversation is I want to understand you better. I want to know you better. I want, I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to critique you or condemn you. I'm here to listen to your heart, to understand your journey, to climb down in your pain and to sit in your sorrow for a night or a season. Because I truly want to know you. And when people feel like they're talking to someone who really wants to know them, they're more likely to share those things about them that they would not share to almost anybody else. See, most people just want to be heard and we want to be listened to. And more than that, we just want to be understood. So the goal is always to understand. And before you engage in conversation or a series of conversations, make sure that both of you are clear. I'm just here to understand you. Not judge you, not critique you, not condemn you, not castigate you. I just want to know you. And when people realize that they're in a safe space where knowing and revelation and understanding is the only point of what we're doing, you stand a better chance of having people really give you more of their heart. So good luck with that. Here's my last one. Someone sent me this. My best friend was recently proposed to by a man she has only been dating for four months. I never met him, but she recently showed me a photo of him. And to my surprise, he's a member of my church and he's married with children. Should I tell her the truth or just mind my business? You better tell your friend the truth as soon as possible. You better run and tell your friend that she's about to marry a married man with children. <laughs> tell your friend to run. Run, girl. You in danger. This man is crazy. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in tonight. Thank you, Jamal, for being here. Listen. Sometimes your dreams don't always live up to what you thought that they would. Even a dream can hurt, but you can handle it. Keep going, okay? Don't you give up. There's more life for you. Y'all be good to each other. And if you forget, I love you. How about that? Too many things in our lives require too much effort. But when it comes to disinfecting surfaces with the new Clorox disinfecting mist, you just spray and walk away. No wiping required. The aerosol-free Clorox disinfecting mist kills 99.9% of germs on hundreds of surfaces with an easy-to-use continuous sprayer. And it comes in two delightful scents with a reusable sprayer and refills that help keep plastic out of landfills. Try the new Clorox disinfecting mist today. Use as directed. Rinse required on incidental food contact surfaces. Progressive Insurance protects people's cars, homes, and other vehicles. But if you've ever seen our commercials or even just heard our name, you probably already knew that. What you may not know is that we support Humble Design, a nonprofit that furnishes homes for families and veterans emerging from homelessness. Because a little help goes a long way. And a lot of help. Well, you get the idea. Now, if you already knew all of this about Progressive Insurance, we're impressed. We'll have to find something else cool to tell you next time. Find out more about how we're dedicated to our customers and communities at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.